How many, I'm going to show a picture on the screen here. How many people are aware of what this symbol means? Anybody? We've got some musicians. What is it? Quarter rest. Quarter rest. Thanks for being super specific. Nerd. <laughs> this is the symbol, uh, one of the symbols, and uh, as you read, music for rest. And my son's learning guitar right now, and he's at the very beginning stages of it, and learning that music, as you learn it, is not just... Uh, the process of learning the right notes, but it's also learning things like when you're supposed to rest, what the tempo is, what the feel of the music is. You know, there's a lot of different things beyond just the notes. And, and to learn that music itself is, is even more powerful, not just in what's being played, but in what is not being played, in the pause, in the places where you stop. And I've been a musician for about 20 years now, and I've gotten to play with some amazingly talented people who have played with, uh, you know, I played with a drummer one time that was a percussionist for Foo Fighters and got to learn from him. I was around some folks through Ichthus that had played with people like Prince and Madonna and just watching them. And what I always noticed about these musicians, and I've been around a lot of them, is that they were never in a hurry to play everything. There was always this sense that they knew exactly when not to play. That's what set them apart, actually, because if you think about it, if you're playing just nonstop, just note, 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 note all the time, you know, what is that? That's noise, or it's punk rock. I don't know, depending on what you're going with. But, but if you just have nothing always going, always this, 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 and there's never a rest, and the arrangement of those places of rest and the way that a band put together can stop in those places together and form something beautiful, not just in what is being played, but in what is not being played, You see something beautiful happen. And the same is true with our lives. The same is true with us in that it's not just what we're doing in our life. It's not just the things that we're doing for God or with God, it's, it's what we're not doing, it's, it's, and it's when we're not doing it. It's, it's the place that we are deciding in the middle of all the notes of our lives that are being played, there's actually places of pause where we stop. It's our pace. It's our tempo. And it's the difference between a noisy and exhausting and restless life and, and a life that thrives with with rhythm. And to, so, so today, this whole series, as we, as we sang this song, Slow Me Down, it's all about this stopping point for us. We're calling this series, Give It a Rest, this next few weeks, because we live in this instant and hyper-connected, insatiably dissatisfied and exhausting culture, don't we? It's a culture where we kind of wear busyness as a badge of honor. Think about it. Last time somebody said, hey, how are you doing? You probably said, good, busy. Do you do that or am I the only one that does that? Like, I, I just, I, the first thing I think of to tell people when they say, how are you doing? And like, besides good, is that, oh, busy. Almost like that, that legitimizes something for me. It's a culture where we, we call restlessness hustle, where we just keep going and going and going. And we, we, we kind of swing between hyper-productivity and hyper-exhaustion. We go and go and go until we fall, and then we vacation, and then we need a vacation from our vacation, and then we go back to work and we just start the cycle over and over again. And so instead of rest, when we don't get real rest, we decide to escape or we decide to numb ourselves, and it just keeps killing us and killing us and killing us. I shouldn't need statistics to to argue this at all. I think everyone here is already convinced that this is the way we are, but 
American Institute of Stress, they found out that 77% of Americans experience physical symptoms of stress and 73% experience psychological symptoms. Overthinking things like their job pressure, their money, their health, their relationships, and their nutrition, which causes less sleep, doesn't it? When you stress over things, you have a hard time sleeping. Turns out Kentucky has one of the highest rates in the nation for sleep deprivation. 40%, over 40% of Kentuckians are sleep deprived. That's crazy which then leads to more health problems, as we know. And half of Americans, 117 million people, experience chronic health issues, which we end up treating, which we end up coping with. And and then a a million more experience these health issues every single day. We treat them, we numb them through drugs, we numb them through entertainment, and whatever else we can, but the restlessness and the exhaustion remains. You ever take a day off and then you feel extremely tired after your day off? It's probably because the rhythm of our lives in those moments, what we figured out is we have run ourselves ragged and then we've done our best to escape from the stress that we're experiencing. And when we come to the scriptures, we see from the very beginning of the pages of scriptures that there's this different sort of rhythm. There's this different sort of life that God created us for besides this frantic restless pace that we're always going towards. The, the creator God, on the contrary, he, he began creation in existence with a rhythm of life that reminds us of his power and his provision. So we see in Genesis 1, he, of course, he speaks the world into existence. In the beginning of Genesis 2, after he creates man and woman on the sixth day, God does something pretty remarkable. So let's look at this real quick. In Genesis chapter 2, It says, thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. And then God blessed the seventh day and he made it holy because on it, he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. And so this master creation, this creator of the universe, he stops at the end and he does what? He rests. Why does God rest? Is God tired? No. God is God. God doesn't have any reason to be tired. So obviously rest, this stopping point in creation, has less to do with God being tired and more to do with God enacting a healthy rhythm within creation that we were called into. And if you think about it, Adam and Eve were created on the sixth day, and so their first full day would not have been work. Their first full day, the seventh day of creation, would have been rest. Humanity literally begins. God begins the life of humanity not with work, not with something to do. He begins our existence with rest. Isn't that cool? Interesting, there's this biologist named uh, Juan Carlos Lerman at the University of Arizona, and he found recently that, um, that the human biological clock basically works in 25-hour increments. And so it has that rhythm going on and on and on. So our bodies, he found, and this, this is not a Christian study, he found that our bodies, by nature, need a day to stop every seventh day that we're physically designed to do that. And he also found that failing to do so uh, creates symptoms like insomnia, hormonal imbalance, irritability, 
And other physical and mental symptoms. Does that check out with anyone? Anyone got a check mark for those things? It does check out. And it's almost as if we're created not just for the work, not just for the producing. We are literally created for rest. And so as we know, the biblical story continues. Genesis 2, we have Genesis 3, and then sin comes into the picture. And every good thing that God creates for us is distorted, is, is brought into a place where we can no longer see its original purpose. And so you see restless individuals, and these restless individuals uh, form restless families, and these restless families become restless cultures, and these restless cultures become restless empires. And in empires, in empires, people become commodities to use. Everything must be bigger. Everything must be better. Everything must be faster and stronger at all cost. And people are the way that we use that power to put these things into place. That becomes our mantra. Genesis builds up to Genesis 11 when there's an empire, Babel, which becomes Babylon, and then we see it move towards the end of Genesis where a new empire has come into power, this empire called Egypt. And Exodus begins 400 years later after this, after God's people going there with Joseph begins to multiply 400 years later, they're, they're this great multitude and Pharaoh has put them under slavery. They are in slavery to Pharaoh in Egypt, building his storehouses, building his room for more, for his abundance. And so God's people now, they live in this unsatiable drive of the Pharaoh to make bricks to build his kingdom, to reflect his power, his wealth. In Exodus 5, if you go and look, if you read through this, it's pretty crazy. There's this, I mean, just one paragraph where it talks about Pharaoh saying, look at these people, how lazy they are. You will not get a break. You need to make more bricks because if you stop making bricks, you will die. We will make sure you die. It shows this insatiable drive of Pharaoh to say, more, 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 and I will not stop. I don't care who we have to expend at the pursuit of more. It's a cruel brick-making life for God's people. For these Israelites, it's defined not by who they are, not by who they were created to be. It's defined by what they produced. And that is what it means to be a slave, isn't it? A slave is someone in slavery, your value is defined by what and how much you produce. So is it more bricks? You're more valuable. Is it less bricks? You're less valuable. Is it no bricks? You're dead. Over and over and over again. So this is the reality. For 400 years, they're crying out to God how this mindset, this slavery mindset, this identity settled into their existence, that their value was determined by how much they could produce for those who were in power. But Exodus doesn't end there. It's not the story of slavery. It's the story of freedom. God, he hears the cries. He sends this reluctant prophet named Moses, and, 
And after several, several incredible displays of God's power, it culminates in them walking, as many of you know, through the Red Sea, this amazing miracle in God, God's people. They walk out of slavery and they walk into freedom, but it's a pretty bumpy road from that point. And what you essentially see in the rest of Exodus, that it's one thing to get God's people out of Egypt, and it's a whole nother thing to get Egypt out of God's people. It's one thing to get them out of slavery, but it's another thing to get slavery out of their minds and out of their hearts. So God introduces the law to them, and it begins in Exodus 20, and he's giving this law these guidelines, not as rules to hold them down, but as as bumpers to help them keep them in the mindset of who they were created to be. Exodus 20 begins with these things called the Ten Commandments. Anybody ever heard of those before? I'm sure you have. Maybe you've uh, put them on the, the front of your courthouse or whatnot, or maybe you've yelled about that. I don't know. The Ten Commandments have become a political uh, a hot button over the last 25 years or so, but in reality, they are just the base level of God's intent for morality in the human culture. It's, it's who we are supposed to be at the very basic level. It's where morality for God starts. So these are the baseline laws. And, and, and interestingly, I don't know if you've ever noticed this or not, but the first three laws in the Ten Commandments are all really essentially about loving God. And then the last six laws, you can look it up later, the last six laws are, are, are really focused on loving your neighbor. It's almost like there was someone who came along later in the story and said the law is summed up in love, your God, love God with all your heart and soul strength and love your neighbor as yourself. But then there's this one in the middle that really is about Sabbath, and it's the law that is not just about loving God and loving neighbor. It's a law that actually is about both. In fact, Jews would argue that it ties all these things together. So let's look at this in Exodus 20. This is the longest law we see in the Ten Commandments. It says, Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. And on it you shall not do work, neither you nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day, and he made it holy. I hope you see here what God is doing. He's reminding them, first of all, Listen to your own story. Remember your own identity. And if you remember your identity, it will call you back into the creation, the rhythm of rest that I've called you to. And so he says, in light of that, take a specific amount of time, take a day and make it holy, meaning set it apart, different from the rest of their time so, so we hear this in modern times and we think, well, I can keep going and I can keep going. I can drink more coffee and I can drink more Red Bulls and just go. And God says, I want you to stop. Now, is this legalism? 
Is God being a buzzkill? Is he, is he trying, to, trying to make us more religious and, 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 and kind of law-abiding in this? Does it feel like limitations to you that, that hold you back? On the contrary, God is doing something so much deeper in this commandment than just being a buzzkill to all those of us who just want to keep going and going and going. Remember how in slavery you found your value in what you produce? If that's true, friends, if that's true, We never stop producing, do we? We keep going and going and going, and we don't stop because, not because we've we've lost sight of, 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 of what's next. We don't stop because we've lost sight of who we are. It becomes our value. We lose a sense of our identity. We lose a sense of who we created to be. We forget our own story. And that's the mindset that we see in slavery. So by God calling people to Sabbath, God is doing something profoundly kind for us. God is reminding them of who they were always called to be. You see, friends, Sabbath rest reminds us that our identity is not in what we make, but in who is making us. I need to say that again because it's huge. Sabbath rest, it reminds us that our identity is not in what we make, not in what we produce, but in who is making us and who has made us and who has given us identity and worth and value. Not in how much you produce, but in the God who created you as an image bearer to reflect his glory and his value in this world. And if this is true, and I think you would say you believe it's true, hopefully, then then we can slow down, can't we? We can rest. You see, this whole conversation today, as we start talking about Sabbath and rest, normally we would have, okay, here's, here's... five tips of how to take a better Sabbath, of how you can arrange your schedule. All that stuff is good, and and we need better strategy. We'll talk more about some strategies of rest and what the scriptures say about this, but if we just start with that, what we do is is we walk out of here, because this happens a lot, with what no matter what we're talking about, we think that's a good idea. Maybe that's something I can implement. Maybe we do it for a day or two, but our actions change, but nothing even gets touched in our identity. So after a while, we get into the, all, the already well-enforced rhythms of our lives, don't we? We just get back into it. And so instead of starting with our actions, instead of starting with this, this outward understanding of our restlessness, our busyness, this inward restlessness as well, we have to get to the place of confronting the way that we see ourselves, the way that we understand our own identity. Because if you have years of believing these lies that I am how much and what I produce, it will form in us, and we know this, it forms in us habits of where we begin to keep going and keep going and keep going, and this pattern moves us to exhaustion, and we wonder why it's so hard to break. It's because we have literally been formed by exhaustion, by the thought that we are what we are. Produce. Maybe the question that we need to ask today is what is production for us? What gives us value? Maybe you're a mom and the quality of your children's behavior is really the produce of what you find value in. I hope it's not for me because I'll feel terrible. 
Or maybe you, you, you work at, you're a salesman, and so you start seeing how, what, what your, your, uh, your commission is coming in, and you start adding more and more and more in there. And, or maybe it's, it's, it's praise, or maybe whatever that may be, there's something maybe in your life that you're working for, and you don't feel like you can stop for, because that is your value. And if you stop, you lose a sense of who you are. I'd be willing to bet that for many of us here, you could identify that. Something, if you were just gut-level honest in your heart, you would say, that's really what I'm working for. That at heart is why I don't feel like I can stop. It's why I've come to live this way. And so if action flows out of identity, we have to confront where we find our sense of identity. We need rhythms of rest. We need new habits. We need practices. Yes, but... It begins with who we are. So, so let me ask this honest question as we move towards a close here. Do I live more like a slave or a child of God? If you're just gut level honest with your life right now, is my mindset towards my rhythm and my time more like a slave driven to produce or am I confident that I am a son or a daughter of God? My identity is firm and secure, and so I know that I can stop and rest. I believe this is what Paul's talking about in Romans 8 when he says, For those who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. The Spirit you received does not make you slaves so that you will live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. I don't know if you know anything about the language behind the Bible that it's been translated from, but Abba, that word Abba is not something we use often. It's, a, it's an Aramaic term that, that people in Jesus' time used to refer to Father, but it's not just Father. It's, it's, it's a very uh, childlike word. It's essentially like our form of Daddy. And so the Spirit of God is literally teaching our spirits in rest to know our God as Father, as Daddy. I have two sons, and, and the best moments with them are not the moments when, um, you know, we, we have a lot of fun playing basketball together and playing video games and wrestling. My absolute best moments with my kids are when they crawl up in my lap and just sit and rest. Like nothing means more to me than that. When my kids want to rest with me, literally in me like that, I mean, I feel such a profound love in that moment. And what I want more than anything, and, and they're two and seven right now, so they never do this, and it's, I wish they would, is those moments where they would just crawl up and say, I just want to be with you. There are times that my sons come up to me and said, Daddy, pick me up, and he picked me up. Then I realized that there was a chocolate bar behind me, and he just wanted me to grab the chocolate bar. And I realized that I'm a lot of times like that with God. I'm just spending time with him to get something out of it. And I've noticed with both my children now, when they come and they crawl in bed at night, in the middle of the night, which... Pray for that, that that stops happening at some point. But 
but they, they ask us, both of them ask us, like when we're laying in bed, they make us turn over so our face is literally facing them. And they cannot go to sleep until our faces are looking at them. And, and, and it's actually a beautiful picture of the way the Father is, that we find that rest when we will simply face the loving face of our Father who just wants us to be with Him. I'm telling you all, as a parent, there is absolutely nothing better. And if God is this perfect father that the scriptures call him to be, if we're to call him Abba, Daddy, Father, then it has to be true that the way that he desires to be with us is not coming and showing before him all the things that we accomplish for him. What he desires more than anything is just us to rest in him, to be with him. The Father's love for all of us. So today, this whole series, before we started, just just really felt led. We just need to confront and be honest with our identity. Are you exhausted? Are you stressed? Are you overworked? Are you overextended? Are you restless? The Father's invitation to you today is just simply come and be with me. Remember who you are. There's one of my favorite quotes from a theologian named Augustine. He wrote this in the 4th century. He said, you have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our heart is restless until it rests in you. This is our reality, friends. No matter how much we feel accomplished in doing things for God, no matter how much we produce in our lives, in our jobs, in our families, in our schools, until we have received rest in Christ, our hearts will continue to move in restlessness and weariness. And so I want to pray today for us. I want to pray today that we can just simply, in this moment, stop. We will get to places as we talk next week and beyond. We will get to what we need to do to help rest. But for now, let's just stop and ask ourselves, where do we find our identity? And ask as we sang earlier, God, slow me down. Help me remember who I am in this world that values me just like the empire that it is and how much I produce. Father, remind me that I do not live in that mindset. I do not live in that kingdom, but I live in a kingdom of a father who loves me and gave his son for me. So now in this moment, Father, we, we just come. We, we slow our minds and our hearts down. We ask, God, for your clarity from the Holy Spirit. We ask, God, for your kindness in bringing repentance and bringing new life in us. We remember, God, that you, you, you come and you ask for change in our lives. You bring these commands not as burdens, but as avenues to freedom. So, Lord, come to us as Father. Meet us here. Speak to us. Holy Spirit, whatever you want to do in the lives of the people that are here today, I, I pray you speak that out. God, we pray this in the name of Jesus.